Our thing is uh, everybody's somebody. And, and most people don't know how well they can do something until they really test themselves. In 1976, Coach Dick Vermeil landed in Philadelphia. The young coach was now responsible for one of the worst teams in the NFL. Jimmy Murray said, Coach, you come and turn this program around, you'll be bigger than John Wayne in Philadelphia. That's what he says. That's exactly what he said. 46 years later, Coach Vermeil is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But Vermeil was not an overnight success. This season on Return Game, Coach Vermeil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation, we're taking you through the twists and turns of his legendary career. We go back to the beginning, Hillsdale High School and UCLA. First saw Dick Vermeil as our coach in the summer of 1960 for summer practices. And it was obvious from the very beginning that this was going to be a new experience. Players win games, not coaches. We were uh, going into the Rose Bowl, the uh, biggest underdog, I think, in the history of the Rose Bowl. To his years with the Philadelphia Eagles. That was a hostile place that the Cowboys walked into. I was taking my headset off, you know, the game is over, I'm like this, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And I can remember Coach Vermeil on the sideline, walking up to guys and hugging them and saying, we're going to the Super Bowl. I said, Len Jim, I'm just burnt out. I need to take a break. Then, after 15 years away from the sideline, he returns to coach the Rams. I was so confident. This football team was unbeatable. I thought we caught some lightning in a bottle, I'm going to be honest with you. I remember looking up and seeing a big billboard that said, good luck, coach, and had Dick Vermeil's face on it. He finally reached the mountaintop, but he just couldn't walk away. I started thinking, oh, God, maybe I made a mistake. And I just remember seeing this little gray-haired, white-haired man with glasses on TV crying at the podium all the time. Every week he'd come running out of the tunnel at the end and he'd run up the sidelines and he'd always wave up to the booth to Carol. Over six episodes, it's an in-depth look at Coach Ramil's life, career, and legacy. Hear stories from Coach Ramil, Randy Cross, Herm Edwards, Ron Jaworski, Isaac Bruce, Kurt Warner, Dante Hall, and many, many more. If you work real hard and invest a lot of hours in getting better and you're an unselfish person and you do what you're asked to do as hard as you can do it every day on the practice field, well, Sunday it becomes just part of your personality. Subscribe now so you don't miss a minute of Return Game, Coach for Meal, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. Eagles Entertainment. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and we're getting you prepped for Monday Night Football as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 409. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out, where I chat with my friend Chris McPherson and just kind of take stock of this Eagles team as we sit here a couple of days after their week one victory over the Detroit Lions. We're still a few days away from game day, but what are the big topics surrounding this team right now? C-Mac and I chop it up 
right at the top of the show. After that, we've got Chalk Talk, where Ben Fennell and I take a look at this Eagles primetime matchup against the Vikings through the scope of our show, Eagles Game Plan, that we produce on a weekly basis for Eagles Entertainment, all with the goal of getting you ready for that matchup. Then, to close out the show, is an extra-loaded version of Faux Focus. I chat with not one but two guys who offer great insight into what the Eagles can expect to see on Monday night. First up, we've got Arif Hassan, who just does an outstanding job covering the Vikings for the Athletic. Arif is one of the best there is, not just uh, covering the Athletic, but one of the best pure beat writers uh, in football. So excited to catch up with him uh, for our first segment of Faux Focus. Then we follow it up with Sean Syed, who does a deep dive on this Vikings team on a weekly basis over for the Daily Norseman. I figured with the extra day Eagles fans have before this game, might as well squeeze in some extra analysis uh, in this preview podcast. Now, before we get there, a little bit of housekeeping as always. Make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got questions about this team now's the time jump on in there you can leave a question we'll answer it here on the very next episode of the show also be sure to check out the journey to the draft podcast myself ben fennel uh dane brugler ross tucker on a weekly basis we've got jim Nagy on the show later this week from the senior bowl so you can go check out we've got exclusive interviews on a weekly basis the journey to the draft podcast wherever podcast can be found now before we get on with the rest of the show this week on eagles game plan i caught up with eagles running backs coach jamal singleton talked about the run game and all the different things that went into the success last week against the Detroit Lions. This was one of my favorite tape study segments we have done in a long, long time. Coach Singleton was awesome. I shared a, I kept a bunch of bites off to the side just for you, but you want to make sure you go check out this entire segment. He does an outstanding job breaking down some film from last Sunday's win over the Lions. But here is a few bites from that segment. We call it Tape Study. Well, let's go through this, uh, this rushing attack week one against Detroit. One of my favorite stats coming out of this game. Obviously, everybody knows four ball carriers reached the end zone on the ground. Three of those guys averaged four yards a carry. Two of those guys rushed for over 90 yards. So when you talk about versatility, multiplicity in the run game, you guys are hitting it from every angle. You know, it was exciting to see guys carry the ball effectively and different guys. So it's not like you can key on one person and say, if we stop him, we can get a good thing going with their run game. Well, we had guys that showed they could carry the ball and find the end zone a few times. That's right. So all those guys getting into the paint, uh, just from a how fun is it to be in that room throughout the course of the week when all those guys, they're all going to have faith in each other, right, on a weekly basis? Absolutely. You know, and we always talk scoring points is the most important thing we can do as an offense. Yep. And anytime you can get in the end zone, no matter what it takes to do that, you've obviously helped your team win. And to have three guys in the room play a big part in that was, was awesome. And then you add Jalen to add that other rushing touchdown on there. It's just a great day for us in that. A lot of things we still have to improve and get better on, but there were some really good things that we can definitely grow from. Coach, we talk all the time about patience as a running back, and I feel like it's such like a nebulous term as patience and vision, decisiveness. Some of those things, you, you're asking for different things on a, any given run. Miles here, you talked about his manipulation of that defender, not too fast pressing the line of scrimmage, right? Is that kind of the coaching point on uh, that play? Kind of. Right. I'm, I'm an anti-patient guy. Yeah, you exactly. Know, I think yep. sometimes you use the word patience because the guy's a little slow. Sure. So <laughs> I, 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 don't, I think this is, he's on a good flow and he's staying on his path. And really as simple as you can see his explosion as he kind of gets through that hole, but he's got to get a feel for it. Is the backer running over the top or is the backer fitting inside like he ends up doing? I have to be as a back able to make that vertical cut 
cut if he flows outside, as well as the same cut he just made through this crease if he stays inside. So part of it's a cat and mouse. Right, it's a cat. Where are you gonna go? I gotta go opposite of that. And I think Miles in this look, he can't be too patient. He's gonna get tackled by the backside. Sure. So for him to be on his normal flow and with some speed and still hit that crease while not getting caught from behind, it's just a great run. Yeah, like you said, the finish there at the end, uh, big time as well. Now I know everybody in that room is gonna take a lot of pride, not just carrying the rock, but protecting the quarterback in the pass game as well. And we see that here from Kenny Gainwell. I mean. That's a pretty good pocket for the quarterback to set up in because of what we've done. And then, again, with Kelsey there, obviously doing an awesome job. He's checking backside, works frontside. He comes backside to help if there's needed for an extra guy coming off the edge. But I think you watch Kenny here, and it's just, just physical. The guy's trying to grab his head. He's still running his feet and going through there. And this is, this is why Kenny gets to do some of this stuff, because he's shown that he's a physical, aggressive player, especially in the pass game. And this wasn't necessarily the case for Kenny coming from Memphis, but you see so many young running backs now with the RPO game not asked to be a pass protector. How hard is that to be able to train with these guys when they get to the league? You know, when rookies come into the league, that is the toughest mm. thing they have to do at our position. You know, it's, it's hard, and you said it. These guys haven't done this. I mean, yeah. if you went back and watched Kenny's tape from his college years, I mean, there's not a whole lot I could say, hey, yeah, he's a great pass protector. You just don't see it, but there's a mentality. Mm. And for me, as I evaluate a guy, it's always, does he have the willingness? Is he a willing combatant? Will he stick his face in there? Will he fight? And Kenny did that on his tape. He did that in the run game. And I think we're seeing it. As he continues to grow and his knowledge base gets even better, you add that with the physicalness that he plays with. Mm. I think you've got a really good pass protector back there. And like you said, you don't want to get into the specifics of this uh, this look from a pressure standpoint and the protection rules, but when you've got all these different guys in the line of scrimmage, the threat of other threats off the edge, uh, there's a lot to be able to go through from a mental standpoint too, right? Oh, absolutely. And like I said, that's the toughest thing for a rookie. When you really look at this picture, where they're showing us pressure from the opposite direction of where it's coming from, right. and then they end up bringing it from the other side. And they did a bunch of things running some zeros where they're, they're rolling the dice a little bit where they're going to bring one extra that we have to block. Lock, but if they don't cover the guys down very well on the outside, you got a chance for an explosive play. But it starts inside there with that pass protection to get some things going. I think if you can't pass protect, it's tough to play in this league. And it helps earn yourself some carries inside the goal line. All, like you said, all these guys reaching the end zone here uh, on Sunday. We'll see this Boston Scott touchdown. Take us through what Boston sees here. They, I, I'm not going to lie. This one fires me up a little <laughs> bit, all right? When you see what's going on in this play, and, and, and part of it is, too, is just for the young man that Boston is. Yep. I mean, just how I think Eagles Nation has seen this young man man, seen him make great plays, just gives of himself. You know, he's running. And after this touchdown, if you turn the film on, he's running down on kickoff covering the mm. kick. And I think that's just, just a testament to who he is as a player. People talk about goal line backs need to be, you know, 220 pounds. At Boston, he has shown a nose for the end zone everywhere he's been, college, high school, NFL, and this is the kind of player he is. He, he, well, I, I give him a hard time. He's got a little bit of built-in leverage <laughs> yeah, already, that's right? right? <laughs> you know, being his, his stature. But he does that. He's a strong, physical guy. He's running low with his palate. You see, you see him drop his shoulders. And now right on the contact, you can see that right knee start coming through his chest. Right? That's that extra force. That's the physics of football is low man wins, physical man wins, and he does both of those things right there. He's the lowest guy, and he's the most physical guy. And, and again, to, to see a guy on his back after you've run into the end zone is a great feeling, not only for a player, but for a coach as well. No doubt. Coach, last question for you. 
uh, pre-snap? Is he aware that this guy is likely to be the one that's uh, that's unblocked? And is he aware, hey, this is a DB. I've got to be able to win this matchup. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's still the part of the run I've got to read it out. Because yep. let's just say the backside backer doesn't fit backside and he stays. This ball has a chance to stay front side. So a little bit that's missed on this play is the great read by Boston here, understanding where the best crease was for him to hit. Mm-hmm. So he's still pushing this thing. This ball can go different ways. We've got clips in the past. You've seen Kenny really in game one in Atlanta last year bounce front side and gets Mm. the score so it can hit in a lot of different areas and that's the best thing about their tight zone runs is we can get these guys move we can get these guys pushed now let the back find his crease and get it get his pads down and really get into the end zone. So, sure. so just a great down on the goal line play that's been pretty effective for us. I think if you turn on the film from last year, you might see that play a few times getting in the end zone as well. And again, for that whole segment, be sure to watch the entire Eagles game plan show or check out Tape Study, which will go up on Friday for Friday or Saturday morning uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and of course, our Eagles social channels. That said, uh, let's get this show started. I'm excited to catch up now. C-Mac is here. We've got three topics to hit. Let's go three and out. How about this for a start? They got him again! What a defensive stop. Slay's second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three and out. All right, well, joining me once again here on 3 and Out, my friend Chris McPherson, C-Mac. Uh, Eagles 1-0, and we've got uh, some hot topics to discuss. Yes, indeed. So starting off here, okay, we're going to look at the Vikings offense. Yep. Now, A.J. Brown had a spectacular debut for the Eagles, okay? 155 receiving yards, tied a career high. There's only one receiver in the league who had more than him last week. Can you guess who that was? Oh, that would be Vikings wide receiver Justin Jefferson. Oh, you better believe it. So, nine receptions, 184 yards, two touchdowns. We saw the connection, the chemistry between... Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown. Well, Kirk Cousins has it with Jefferson, the third-year receiver. And what's a challenge for the Eagles is the way the Vikings move him around the formation, okay? He had 41 snaps out wide last week against the Packers, 16 in the slot, and pretty much even distribution on both sides of the field. So it's not like a situation where, okay, you know he's always going to line up on the right. He'll always be on the left. By the way, throw two more in in the backfield as well. And and I'm getting there. You got me okay? beaten, You know, so with Kevin O'Connell coming from the Sean McVay, the Kyle Shanahan treat, a lot of motion with him. Both yep. of his touchdowns came in the red zone. Both came on pre-snap motion to get a free release. And my next point was going to be, yep. Fran, you know, I know you cover so much on all your podcasts here, so... <laughs> So try to find something in here, but uh, but yes, motion in the backfield. Uh, one of the you know they got manned up. You know the preset motion one time they got manned up against a linebacker. So yep. it just presents all these challenges. And plus, when you look at the receiving tolls, 184, 81 came after the catch. Yep. So it's you know the average depth of target. I'm actually going to touch on this a little bit later. But Kirk Cousins wasn't all that far. It's not like he's throwing bombs all over the field. So it's pretty much get the ball in the hands of his playmakers and let them do their thing. So. Now, in week one, the Eagles played sides with the corners, okay? Slay was on the defense's left. Bradbury was exclusively on the right. Yep. Is that going to change? That's going to be something that I'm looking for. And again, I know there's a whole talk about the run defense for the Eagles. Justin Jefferson isn't alone. Am Thielen is a route-running nightmare in and of his own self there. But for me, the focus is going to be on how will the Eagles contend with Kirk Cousins 
and Justin Jefferson slowing down that connection. The run defense, all that other stuff, to me, is secondary to how the Eagles handle this passing attack. And that's the thing. I, it's almost it's fun to get back into the mode of because you know we spend all off season we talk through draft and you free agency additions and you're so focused on skill set, skill set, skill set with yep. these players and their traits and what they can bring to the table. And with Justin Jefferson, there are all of the traits, right? I mean, he's a he's a big receiver who can attack all three levels with his speed and quickness, but he's also outstanding in terms of the technical side of the game. So oh God, releases yeah. off the line of scrimmage. He's an outstanding route runner. He is just so sick at the top of his stem, creating his own separation. So you factor that in, but then you look at the scheme and the usage and everything that you just mentioned. I mean, this is a team coming in in Minnesota that comes into the week Top 10 in screen percentage, top 10 in empty percentage, top 10 in play action percentage. Uh, this is a team that wants to be able to do all these different things to create some easy completions for their guys. But you also, at the end of the day, when they're one-on-one, they're a tough cover. Uh, and so it's a, that's, a tough, that's a tough task for any opposing secondary. Um, Green Bay, is, they, don't, they, don't, they're not, they don't have slouches back there. Uh, they've got some talent. And the, the big thing, you know, it's funny. when we, were, we talked about this earlier in the week with Greg. What I, look, coming in. Doing Eagles game plan. Hey, we got to. We're going to do a Justin Jefferson play. Of course, all of those big plays for the most part. I think it was his first or second catch uh, was an outstanding like one on one play. But there wasn't like a ton of scheme to it. It was like, oh well, you know, he just won, he won one on one, which is a great rep from Justin Jefferson. A lot of the other ones, Green Bay kind of busted the coverage, and so you look at it and you're like, all right, well, there are reasons why coverages are busted, right? There's not, it's not just, they didn't just happen. By, I thought there's no reason. Yeah, no, right. The there, there are the reasons those open. things uh, <laughs> typically happen. Um, but I think when you look at that, it's tough to present that in breakdown form. So I think the big thing with the Eagles is that it's not going to be, well, I shouldn't say it's probably not going to be, oh, Darius Slay versus Justin Jefferson, especially because of how often they no. move him around. Uh, I think it's going to be a full team effort. And you, unlike what you saw in Green Bay last week, you need all your I's dotted and T's crossed. Everything's got to be buttoned up from a communication standpoint, uh, pre-snap recognition. How are things going to change post-snap? You mentioned all the different times they put him in motion. All of that's going to come into play, and so it's going to be a full-team effort to kind of keep him under wraps. Yeah, that communication is going to be so critical. That's why it was good for the Eagles to have C.J. Gardner-Johnson out there for yep. pretty much every snap in his Eagles debut because there were questions about how often would he be used? Is he still getting used to the playbook? You want to get him aligned with the rest of the guys as quickly as possible. No doubt. So that synergy is going to be very, very important. Okay, so that's number one. Number one. That's a good number one. two, can yep. or how will Jalen Hurts make the Vikings pay for pressure? Okay? So Aaron Glenn, Lions defensive coordinator, he brought the heat. He brought as much as he could. A lot of blitzes. He faced a blitz, Jalen Hurts, on 22 of his 44 dropbacks on Sunday, according to Pro Football Focus. When you watched the tape, did you get a sense? Yes, it was, so it was, a, it was a lot of blitz. Okay, Especially a lot. When you, got, when you got to third down, it was a, it was almost exclusively blitz, and they were the, obviously there was more than just the third downs, but there were plenty on early downs as well. Certainly. So only one quarterback in the league was blitzed more. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. So yeah. there you go. Okay, so – now, Hertz, according to PFF, was 8 of 17 for 84 yards passing. Of course, there's the rushing element, which is a huge a factor. Finished with a total of 90 yards on the ground. So, obviously, he can beat you there as well. I think the most important thing, and you touched on this with Greg, is Hertz does not turn the ball over very often. 
that is so, so critical for this offense that he's not giving up those possessions. His interception percentage rate was just 2% last year. Cut that in half from the little bit that he played in his rookie season. And for as much as he carries the ball, he's only lost four fumbles in his career. And a lot of that was in the first year, in 2020. So I'm knocking on wood, all that type of stuff. Now, when you look at the blitzes and what happened on on Sunday – it's one of those situations where there's not just one thing. It's not like you say, okay, there's one hole to plug and yep. we're going to be set. Okay, sometimes it's a communication. Sometimes it's not getting into the right right play. It's Sometimes it's just Hurts not being the guy. It's the running back picking up the right guy. But to me, and the coaches have said it this week, that it's all correctable. It's all stuff that once you get in the meeting room, you watch the tape, you're going to work through these things early on in the season. So now you're looking at the, at the Vikings, okay, their defensive coordinators, Ed Donatel, comes from the Vic Vangio school, was Denver's defensive coordinator last season. They didn't put a whole lot of blitzing on Aaron Rodgers last week. It was not It was not a lot of blitzes. It was a lot of the sim pressures, and we talked about that with Greg in terms of all the – and I think that will be a theme here today for sure, yeah. for certain in these conversations. So, But in terms of, like, sending more than four, I think it was, what, three? Uh, three four. or five? Yeah, it was, four. it was only a couple uh, over the course of that game. Now, of course, that's Aaron Rodgers. Yes. Okay, going to handle that differently than Jalen Hurts, but the key is for Jalen Hurts and Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni, the whole offense, when they do – and I'm assuming that – when you look at those numbers, I'm thinking teams are going to continue to bring it until he beats you. Yep. Can Jalen Hurts and the offense find the answers to beat the Blitz? I think what will be fascinating, too, is that you know we mentioned all the Blitzes from Detroit. So many of those Blitzes had man coverage behind them. And so uh, you know Jalen Hurts drops back. Yeah, I've got the extra rusher, but I see a lot of green grass. So the defenders with their eyes looking at the receivers they're covering in man-to-man uh, and not necessarily on me. The Vikings played a whole bunch of uh, two high shells zone coverage, and it was a lot of cover four, a lot of cover six. Uh, so eyes on the quarterback, rally to the football. They were match zone principles, so there were times where you know their eyes weren't always in the backfield. But more often than not, you're going to have more sets of eyes on you when you're facing more zone coverage. And so uh, if the Vikings do decide to blitz more, will there be more man blitzes, or will they be more some zone pressure? So uh, I think that'll be something I'm watching very early in this game. Is what is their answer for Jalen Hurts if they do? send pressure how are they going to account for him as a runner because to me like you can't go into this game if you're the Vikings and not account for what he can do with his legs no not all whatsoever so and the fact is I'm excited to see how Jalen Hurts responds it's kind of the cat and mouse game it's the evolution game and speaking of evolution I think it's a good segue to the third topic here whose game is it going to be on offense okay we all saw A.J. Brown and how electrifying game-breaking, just better than advertised out there on the field, okay? 13 targets, you know, 10 receptions, 155 yards. I mean, just what we saw in training camp carried over to the regular season, and it was amazing to see. I mean, we've talked about this was probably the most, and you touched on this in your column, the most anticipated debut by a new Eagles since Terrell Owens. one. Terrell Owens, no doubt. I mean, come on. and For a lived, veteran receiver. Yeah. And lived, especially the receiver position. Yes. So lived up to the hype. And it was obviously everyone's oohing on over that that dime that hurts through down the field, 50, 54 yards. You know, Brown said it fell out of the sky. But there were the early plays where they needed to move the chains, get the ball, short area of the field to Brown. He can break a couple tackles, move the chains, and just fires up your offense. Just something that's a type of that's a type of play that I can't wait to see at the link come Monday night because the crowd will be going absolutely nuts over that type of play, that physicality that he brings. So 
we also always AJ Brown in week one, and you know, obviously there weren't a lot of targets for the rest of the players. Devontae Smith didn't have a reception. Yep. You know, Dallas Scott was relatively quiet, even though he almost got into the end zone. To me, there are so many options in this offense. It's not going to be AJ Brown each and every week. Sure. So could it be in week two against Minnesota? Yes, it certainly can be. Okay, you've got a veteran core in Patrick Pearson, who still plays a lot of sa- savvy. You have Cameron Dantzler there. Uh, Channon Sullivan is is the nickelback for them, former Eagle, if, if for those of you who recall. But to me, it's going to be exciting to see who's going to be the one who steps up if they do scheme A.J. Brown out. Okay, Devonta Smith, four targets, no receptions. Okay, is it his time to shine? Dallas got three receptions, 60 yards. Is it his, his big game? Can we see, you know... The, the backs come on the backfield in the receiving game. Miles Sanders or Kenny Gainwell there. So, for me, it's going to be, obviously, look, can A.J. Brown take over a game? We've seen it. Teams have to account for it. It's not just, just the big-name addition. We've seen it now on the field, work in fruition. It's going to be seeing how do defenses respond to A.J. Brown, and then how will the Eagles adjust to get their other play? Because there are so many other playmakers who obviously they want the ball, but the big thing is, do they get the win? They took care of business. They got the victory. Now let's see whose game it's going to be come Monday night. I think when you look at it, and I know that you've been uh, you've been tooting the horn of the Dallas Goddard hype train uh, throughout the course of the summer. You have a you you feel like he could be a huge part uh, yes. uh, of this offense, and there's no question he's got that ability. We know what Devontae Smith can be. We saw it a year ago. Uh, all those things you said about AJ Brown and uh, what he can do as a pass catcher. Devontae did that last last season as as a rookie. So I think when you look at it, it'll come down to like volume and opportunity for Correct. all of these guys. And so uh, that's going to change on a weekly basis. I fully expect that at some point we're going to have a game where it's Devontae goes, uh, you know, eight for 160 and two touchdowns. Like we're, we're going to see those kinds of outputs from Devontae Smith. We're going to have big games from Dallas Goddard. It's a matter of what happens in any given system. And Look, I don't know that it's going to be easy to predict it in a game, especially like this one, where it is so much zone coverage and it is so it's not going to be, all right, well, who, who's the matchup going to be? Last week, it felt like, okay, the, the, the Lions, they wanted to put the bigger corner ORA on A.J. Brown. They wanted the, the uh, smoother athlete in, um, in, uh, in, a, in Jeffrey Okuda to go up on Devontae Smith. Is Minnesota going to play that way? I don't know that they're they're going to necessarily say, okay, Patrick Peterson's going to go on AJ Brown or Patrick Peterson's going to go on Devontae Smith, uh, and you know we'll put Cam Dantzler uh, on the other guy. I'm I'm fascinated to see how teams decide they want to play uh, the, this cachet of uh, pass wep- pass weapons on a weekly basis. What's great is the fact that. If the Vikings were to scheme A.J. Brown out, if they say we are going to make sure that if the Eagles beat us, it's not by A.J. Brown, there's other options. It's yep. not like the whole offense is going to fall apart. And, of course, you have the run game. You have the run yeah, game. Right. We didn't even touch on the run exactly game. Right. Just, but just from the pass game standpoint alone, that there's wealth and a wealth of talent to go around to be able to give Jalen Hurts options. And does, it just goes back to, the, for some of our listeners that weren't listening to us in training camp, we were talking about this on a daily basis, is how excited we would be for this offense this season because of exactly what you just said. It's They have so many different ways that they can win a football game, so many different ways that if it's it's third and four, all right, what, what do we have at our disposal? You've got a lot of different weapons, a lot of different matchups that Jalen Hurts can exploit. Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be fun to, to watch. Well, uh, C-Mac, you'll be back uh, next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll have two-game sample now to be able to see what this offense and what this defense looks like here in 2022. Thanks so much for joining us once again. 
Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, so good stuff there from C-Mac as I welcome in Ben Fennell for Chalk Talk. Ben, uh, let's talk through Eagles game plan this week and uh, what we what we put out to, in terms of previewing uh, this game against the Minnesota Vikings. We started on the offensive side of the football, uh, Eagles offense against the Vikings defense. I guess we'll start first. I mean, I want to get your thoughts just on A.J. Brown and what you saw from him on film uh, last week against the Detroit Lions and uh, what that could mean for this Eagles pass game moving forward. Yeah, really impressive performance in his debut with the Eagles and really showed the whole gauntlet of receiver play from the yards after catch opportunities to quick games, intermediates, the deep plays, them finding and exploiting matchups pre-snap. Yep. He's a guy who can win one-on-one. So you saw some that were schematically open, you know, a little misdirection run action. You get the over route, helping him get open. He's a guy to get open himself. So I love that deep ball down the sideline, kind of a pressure look. Jalen found his matchup against the backup corner out there, was decisive and let it rip. So yep. it's just great that he can win and can, and can contribute in multiple ways. And I think we're just scratching the surface with the creativeness of how to use him. Yeah. So he can win and he produced in a variety of ways. I didn't think it was that diverse in how we used them, though. So I think it's just scratching the surface with this offense. And a couple thoughts that I've had, uh, you know, seeing things on the practice field over the summer. I know there's more in the playbook for him. So it was a great debut, and I'm really excited to see how this kind of incorporation into the offense continues. Well, that's what, like, you know, the big the big uh, topic of discussion coming into the season with him was, all right, well, is he going to be worked over the middle of the field and are they going to run those like intermediate crossing routes and get him the ball fast like they did in Tennessee? Or is he going to be an outside-the-numbers receiver? And the answer to that question is yes. He is going to be both. Uh, and he did a little bit of everything this past week against the Detroit Lions. Um, we also talked a lot about that Vikings pressure scheme. You and I watched it together, uh, what they did to Aaron Rodgers and that Green Bay offensive line. Uh, want to kind of share your thoughts on what – we saw what was most important as in terms of how it reflects to this matchup here against the Eagles offensive front. Well, the Vikings front, first and foremost, they have some really good players up yeah. front. Daniil Hunter is one of the more unique, long, troublesome edge rushers in the NFL. He is unique. He's a lot like Chandler Jones. He has a very unique, multiple rush plan. He's a load to deal with. Guys like Dalvin Tomlinson, stout SOB up there. He's a guy that's also getting better as a, a pass rusher. Harrison Phillips, stout Really a lot of good players. They got Zedarius Smith now. Now DJ Wanham all of a sudden is a third, fourth stringer uh, or third, fourth defensive end. But he's a veteran presence. He's long. He's strong. So they have really good players up front. Too. He Pretty led them in sacks last year, No Wanham. question. Yeah. yeah, and he looked good in the preseason. A bunch yep. of spin moves. He's a guy getting stronger and more confident. Two veteran linebackers there to kind of fill out the box. So first and foremost, veteran and good players. Yep. Now let's get into the situational scheme stuff, moving guys around, overloading sides, and then that aggressive dictating, slamming into the A-gaps that they're doing with not only Zadarius Smith, you'll see 91 Patrick Jones out of Pitt, second or third year player doing the same thing. So they have good players, they have multiple schemes and aggressive schematic elements when the situations call for it. And actually, they don't always have to be third and medium, third and long. No. That crashing into the A-gap thing that Zedarius did with the Packers, that could be a first and ten play. And it is a nightmare for blocking schemes. If you're trying to run into that, it's just very disruptive. And then all of a sudden, you have somebody threatening the A-gaps. Running backs need to be aware of uh, the extra pressure up the middle. It just really throws off an offense's blocking structure. So a lot of different ways that Minnesota Vikings can come at you in 
Aaron Rodgers and the Packers saw, you know, every way. Yeah, it felt like the the Lions last week, most of their pressure was coming off the edge. You, know, you saw a lot of those nickel pressures, some of the safety pressures. Uh, this week, it feels like it's going to be more. Uh, it's not the, the traditional double-A uh, gap stuff that we're used to with the, with the guys in purple, but uh, I think you're going to see a lot more uh, from coming from the inside, especially with those two A-plus runners. That's the thing is that those are great A players in Zadarius Smith and uh, Donnell Hunter, uh, just kind of bull in a china shop early in the down and really kind of mess with you from a protection standpoint. Um, so that'll be something certainly that Jalen Hurts and this offensive front will have to deal with uh, on a series-by-series basis on Monday night. Let's go to the, the other side of the football. You know, we had kind of gone through, like, all right, like, what are some of the big th- things to talk through? And we know there was a, not, like, the, an ideal performance that I think everybody on defense would say that we could be better. But Kaiser White was a guy that we – it felt like every series, every drive, he was doing something and made us say, oh, we got, write that one down. All right, write that one down. Write that one down. At the end of the day, we had, like, eight plays of Kaiser White that were really, really impressive last Sunday. Yeah, he played fast, he played tough, and he was reliable. Yeah. You know, he got his hands on ball carriers, finished them when he got there, made plays in space – diagnosed really well, played technically sound, and he's a three-down player. I think finding more three-down players, not only in the second level but up front, is the name of the game in the NFL right now. You can throw the ball on first down. There's creative run schemes on third and shorts, third and mediums. You can't just have these one-dimensional situational players anymore. So having a Kaiser White that's athletic, tough, and reliable, and smart – It's a guy that doesn't have to come off the field. Mm. And I think you saw that in so many different aspects, whether it's playing in space, defending the run, one-on-one in coverage, buzzing the zone lanes, getting to his landmarks off play action. You really saw the full gauntlet from what he can do as being a three-down linebacker, as I keep repeating. Did you have uh, a favorite play from that group? Because I will tell you that the uh, I said this with Greg earlier this week, The uh, him hunting up the crosser off play action I think was my favorite of those. Yeah, that, that and the ball great, doesn't even come close to him, but it was an awesome play. Great play away from the ball right there. It was great to see TJ Edwards' reaction after yes. the play that you pointed out, just <laughs> knowing that he got to his spot and took away that crosser. I love the first play of the game. Yeah. And the extension of that thought is, whoever watched Hard Knocks, do you guys see Deuce Staley salivating about DeAndre Swift? Saying he told his whole coaching staff, guys, I've been around a long time. I've seen a lot of running backs. This kid is special in space. Getting DeAndre Swift in space is probably priority one or one B in that offensive, you know, uh, meeting room. Yep. What do they do the very first play of the game? Swing to him to get him in space, one on one with a linebacker. Kaiser White wrapped him right up. If he doesn't make that tackle, twenty yard gain right yep. out the gates. Probably takes on a different tone of the game. Just like the Packers, unfortunately, Christian Watson dropped that bomb first play of the game. The whole game took on a certain tone and narrative, and it was kind of swimming uphill from that point on. So I think you make big impact plays like that right out the gate. Sets the tone for your day. Well, you talk about the Lions offense. Now fast forward here uh, to the Vikings offense. This pass game uh, is going to be a, a big topic of discussion here in this episode. We talked about it a little bit with C-Mac in the last segment. I know in Faux Focus we're going to be hitting on, hitting it on uh, or hitting on it with both of our guests. Um, but when you look at Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, uh, we talked about it with Greg uh, a little bit this week. I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts after having watched the tape. Uh, thoughts on that duo and just the scheme in general. It's a really good receiver pair. You know, they have a lot of 21 personnel, a lot of 12 personnel yep. where there's just those two receivers. We'll work in some 11 personnel with K.J. Osborne and a couple other guys in that receiver room. But I just love that Justin Jefferson is an elite receiver. He's an elite separator, elite in every phase of playing receiver. And now they're moving him around and playing him very creatively within the offense. He's tough to find on any given snap. He's tough to take away on any given snap. They do a lot of things to prevent you 
from doing any sort of schematic additions to handcuffing that offense. Yep. Whether you want to bracket them, high-low them, jam them off the line of scrimmage. Hey, man, we have answers for all those concepts, you know, with Justin Jefferson. So you can only do so much. So that's what makes Justin Jefferson so good. And when you have offenses that put elite players in positions to be successful, that's the beautiful marriage of talent and scheme. You know, that's what you want from an offense. So kudos to the Vikings and Jonathan Gann and this defense are going to have their hands full. I know you, we talked a little bit about Dalvin Cook as well. This is a guy that you can't forget about. We talk about Justin thing. Jefferson, Dude, Jefferson, Jefferson. Dalvin Cook yep. around, all around that formation. Yep. They'll leak him vertically out of the backfield, as we saw. High red zone. Make sure and you're keying the halfback yeah. sale there, Jonathan Gannon, this week. But empty formations, they'll come out in 12 empty, 21 empty, 11 personnel empty. You suddenly have to figure out, where's number four Cook? Oh, he's out wide. Yep. Where's Justin Jefferson? Oh, he's in the slot. Oh, shoot. They came out in 12 personnel. We're in base. All of a sudden, we have a linebacker over Justin Jefferson. Shoot, now Kirk Cousins knows it's zone coverage. Those are the types of quick pre-snap, you know, things going on between defenders' ears uh, before the snap that then puts offenses in advantageous situations. We, we were watching the Green Bay game together, and that happened numerous times against the Packers. So just getting yourself lined up is priority number one this week. Yeah. And we have some new people on the defense, and getting those new people up to speed and lined up in the communication before anything ever gets snapped is going to be step one into executing the down and getting a stop. So being in the right spot, understanding what offenses are trying to do, understanding they're going to try to move people around and can really test your ability to communicate. Um, and we have some new middle-of-the-field players. It is going to be stressful this week, but getting lined up first and foremost. Uh, I know you are, you're always diving into the numbers, and I ask you every time for a, uh, a stat that matters. What's a, one stat that stands out above the rest for you going Yeah, a couple game? interesting stuff with this Minnesota defense, which they gave you very static defensive looks on nearly every snap. They came out in the same shell. Yep. Two deep quarters look, and that means you have four defenders back there, but it was the same quarters look. Two deep safeties in corners way off uh, their receivers, way off the line of scrimmage. So Minnesota defense, the most average cushion to the receivers this week via next-gen stats, all over seven yards of cushion okay. on the outside. You get that quarter shell out there, typically they're in off coverage. Yep. The other thing is fourth deepest safety depth in week one. Really speaks to the two high shell. Quarters coverage, Ed Donatel, kind of a Fangio disciple, even though Donatel's been along, around for a long time, you're starting to see some of that kind of quarters philosophy leak into you know pretty much every defense in the NFL right now. Oh, I mean, great recall, by the way, from Ike Reese uh, today on Eagles Game Plan. Uh, Ed Donatel was the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers on 4th and 26. He was the coach that was fired uh, the next day after the Eagles beat them, beat them in the 2003 uh, NFC title game. Yeah, and, uh, and a couple or cool – uh, nuggets from Mike Reese as well, some of his defensive calls and trying to take away a number one receiver. And yes. they would have their Rolex call, which you want to roll coverage to the T.O.s and Randy Mosses and Tory Holtz of the world out there. And you need a signal pre-snap, pointing to the watch like a Rolex. So just love seeing uh, and hearing some of those sentiments from Mike Reese. Because there's always been star receivers, and you always got to find something to do to take them away. So whether it's 2022 or 1902 or whenever Ike played, um, <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the the field is the same size, and there's still the same amount of guys on the field. Exactly. So you're, you so, can't uh, you so can't change too much from that. Couple standpoint. interesting uh, metrics there via next gen stats sure. on just the pre snap alignment of Minnesota defenders. Yep. There's a lot of pros and cons to defenses that are stale. Last week against the Packers, you got the same shell every snap. Hmm. Will we get this this week? 
We'll see. That's a, good, that's a really, really good point. Uh, one matchup uh, that stands out to you that, that you feel is going to be very important uh, when, the, when this game kicks off on Monday night? I was really impressed with the Vikings front seven, in particular the defensive tackles. Yeah. Now I think Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith and the tackling machines at linebacker and Harrison Smith and Patrick Peterson get a lot of love. I thought Harrison Phillips, free agent addition from the Bills, played outstanding. And Dalvin Tomlinson, number 94, is a stout, excellent trench player in there. He's a primarily a run plugger out of Alabama. They got him from the Giants a few years ago. But he's starting to get pretty good against uh, you know rushing the passer as yep. well. So he's really rounding out his game. I just think that's... That's tough sledding for a you know undersized Jason Kelsey, uh, you know kind of an underwhelming uh, Isaac Sayamalu who kind of specializes with technique and movement, and then Landon Dickerson. So they're gonna have their hands full with those two on the inside. In addition to linebackers flying downhill and the occasional Zadarius Smith, so my eyes are gonna be right around Kelsey and the guards and handling kind of the interior attack of that Vikings defense. You know what's funny is uh, I'm, I'm going to go a similar kind of route, but I don't think it's like it's – this is a very, like, small part of the game, and I'm probably not going to talk about it the rest of the show, so I feel like this is a good spot to kind of wedge it in here. Both of these teams really rely on their tight ends at the point of attack, one-on-one against defensive ends, working up to the second level against linebackers, watching uh, Minnesota – I was shocked at how often they left their tight ends, uh, Irv Smith, Johnny Munt, one-on-one uh, with defensive ends uh, in, the, in the run game and say, like, all right, go win. It was it was mixed results, but to me, like, that's a, that's a key for the Eagles in this game is, like, do not let uh, your th- those tight ends block your DNs. And then, conversely, you want to be able to win those. Well, if you're Dallas Goddard and you're Jack Stoll, those guys uh, at the point of attack for the Eagles standpoint, that's another matchup to be able to watch. They were so good last week against Detroit. We highlighted it uh, this week in our film breakdown on the All-22 Review you need to be able to continue to have that success. So the tight ends versus DNs in the run game, it seems boring. That's something I'm going to be kind of focused in on when we go back to the film. Every team wants to be able to erase a defensive end with their tight end. I was taken back by what they were asking their tight ends to do against those defensive ends. A lot of them were head-up assignments. Yes. You had Rashawn Gary head up against uh, Johnny Munt or head up against Irv Smith. So what I'm saying is I like tight ends to take out defensive ends but I need to put them in advantageous situations. So how do I do that? Angle blocking, working back across formations, giving them kind of a step ahead to seal that block and survive. And as we like to say, lose slowly because defensive ends don't get blocked by tight ends. It says that in every room, we do not get blocked by tight ends. So tight ends just have to survive out there. But if you can have that exchange of assignment and a tight end takes away defensive end, Suddenly, you have five offensive linemen for three D linemen, and they could start working up to smaller defenders and counter that kind of a disadvantage of the tight end block. That's what makes the the wham play so effective no right? from a number yeah. standpoint. Is all right. Well, we have taken a tight end and we have put him on a defensive tackle. That's not an advantageous situation. But when you factor in the angle, that, that now allows is he going to be able to hold that block? No, of course not. <laughs> That's why it's a quick hitting concept. That running back gets out of there with the, his hair on fire. Just hit that hole. Trust the wham is coming. Because, of course, a 240-pound tight end is probably not going to be able to upper wrestle the point of attack with a 300-pound defensive tackle. But you gave him an angle. You gave him an advantageous situation yep. to survive, get the running back out of there, and that's where you see those quick hitters. Yeah, it's going to be a lot to watch, a lot to take in. Two really good teams uh, taking yeah. the field uh, here on Monday night. Now, we're going to continue breaking this down with our two faux focus segments here uh, at the end of the show. But, Ben, before we get there, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Check Ben and I out over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We're going to get you ready for this weekend in college football over wherever podcasts can be found.
So great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at BenFennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment, leave us a question. We'll answer it here in an upcoming episode. So if you have something that you want to know, you want something answered about this team, about this scheme, about the roster, about the schedule, whatever it is, go on, leave it there in the Apple Podcast page. We will answer it here on an upcoming episode. That said, let's wrap this episode up. We've got Faux Focus, a double uh, double whammy here on Faux Focus. First, we're going to start off with Harif Hassan, and then after that, we've got Sean Syed. But we'll start off with Harif. Here it is. Time for Faux Focus. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in Faux Focus. All right, so joining me for the first of two editions of our Faux Focus series here today is uh, Arif Hassan, who does an outstanding job. I talked about him earlier, breaking down the uh, Minnesota Vikings for The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Arif, welcome back to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So let's talk through uh, this Eagles-Vikings matchup for next Monday night, and I'll I'll start this off the same way I started off every week. I'm going to ask you to put on the offensive coordinator's hat. Put on Wes Phillips' hat. What is the, the biggest strength for this team Entering this game on offense, what gives you, the Vikings, the confidence, uh, the ability to win this game on Monday? Question kind of answers itself, right? It has to be Justin <laughs> Jefferson. You can't like you go any other direction. You're thinking, what's that? What's that guy on about? No, Jefferson goes for 184 yards. Could have gone for more if the game was closer against the Packers. Had 160 by the end of the half. Um, it, the obviously, you know, the way that that game was set up, you know, helped Justin Jefferson in particular. There was a lot of kind of wide open zone looks. There was a lot of you know ability to to bait you know cornerbacks out of their zones to create open spaces for Jefferson and frankly, that's going to be a matchup that's going to be available to them this week. You know, the Eagles love to run zone. Uh, they love to have wide open zones because they do like to, to have a zone coverage behind their blitzes or their five man rushes. Uh, and so there should be a lot of open space and these Ram style offenses love to exploit open space. And Justin Jefferson is going to be the focal point of that passing game. Was this kind of what you expected in terms of like usage, you know, moving him all around the formation? We saw a lot more jet motion uh, with this offense than we have in years past with the Vikings, obviously. Uh, was the, the offense, in terms of the way that it looked and felt in week one, was that kind of what you expected based off uh, your reporting and based off seeing the team in training camp? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think that, you know, a lot has been said about the quote unquote Cooper Cup role, which, you know, means different things based off of kind of what you're trying to communicate. And I don't really think it's it's fair to say that he has the quote unquote Cooper Cup role in terms of responsibilities. I'm not seeing him blocking in the slot or anything like that. But in terms of, you know, receiving a high target volume, designing plays, you know, around getting him open or creating yards after the catch space for him, um, motioning, like you said, across the formation. Those are all things that we you know saw in training camp. You know, we, we saw a little bit in the preseason. Obviously, he didn't play in the preseason, but in terms of the way that they wanted that offense to set up players to succeed and in particular, you know, funnel the ball to a particular player. Yeah, this is exactly what I expected. Well, let's go to the other side of the football. And I'll ask you to put on your Ed Donatel hat now. Uh, what is your biggest strength on defense? What gives you the most confidence in your ability to win this game? Yeah, the Vikings forced one of the fastest times to throw from a quarterback known for holding on to the ball quite a bit. And a lot of that has to do 
with the pressure they were able to put up front. I think Aaron Rodgers is only under pressure 29%, which uh, is below league average, but that's because he got rid of the ball in two seconds or less on a vast majority of his clean plays. Uh, and, and that's because the Vikings were winning up front rushing four. They only blitzed under 10% of plays. I think it was like four, four total blitzes where they had five or more rushers. So their ability to rush with four, create wins up front is going to be a big part of, of their ability to, to win games, you know, forcing quarterbacks to make quick decisions. I mean, that, that those sim pressures that they ran, you know, moving all these pieces around, obviously with Sedarius and with Danelle Hunter uh, working inside, and, and again, the kind of be those movable chess pieces up front. Uh, you know, that, that that makes it a very tough test for any offensive line, any quarterback going into a given matchup. Uh, do you feel like that's going to be kind of the identity of that defensive front here moving forward? Yeah, and in that sense, Vikings fans will see a lot of continuity between these two yeah. defenses, even though uh, from from Zimmer to Donatel, even though, you know, the front looks different, the players are different, you know, it seemed like, you know, it looks different. But, you know, the defense is lighting up seven at the line of scrimmage only to rush four. That's a Zimmer staple. It looks like it's going to be a Donatel staple. And, yeah, we, I mean, they they did stuff like they had, you know, Kendrick Zimmer pressure before, uh, you know, bailing to, to bait the running back into the center gap and opening up space on the outside. You know, just stuff like that where they're rushing four, but they're occupying six blockers you know that's stuff that Zimmer excelled at stuff that it looks like they're going to continue doing and these simulated pressures are you know they're they're all the rage right they, they've been uh, around the NFL for the past couple of years as as something people want to do but it's something that um it, it seems like they do really really well Jordan Hicks and Eric Hendricks and Harrison Smith and um you know all of these tertiary players do a really great job of you know baiting uh pass blockers you know and making sure that those pass blockers don't actually know who's rushing you mentioned uh, that that linebacker duo of Jordan Hicks, who Eagles fans are very familiar with, and he honestly playing just as well as he has uh, over the course of his career. Uh, and then you'll get Eric Kendricks, uh, another player that I think Eagles fans are very familiar with just because of how often the Eagles have played the Vikings, but also uh, his brother Michael uh, being here in Philadelphia as well. When you look at Eric Kendricks at this stage of his career, do you feel like he is still like one of the, the upper echelon players uh, at the position? I know that, that that defense as a whole was a little disjointed in the last couple of years. How do you kind of view him at this point? Uh, in his career. Yeah, I, I think Kendricks is one of the few bright spots over the past two years as the Vikings defense kind of faltered here and there. Um, he did a really remarkable job of, of making sure he was always in the right spot or freelancing to get to the right spot uh, in, in ways that I think it's really difficult for an offense to account for because he does a really great job of anticipating what an offense is going to do, how they're going to work off of what they're doing, uh, and, and, and having eyes in the back of his head to kind of know where those routes are developing and, and occupy passing lanes. It's a really difficult skill to master. It's a really difficult skill to account for, and luckily it's one that you know only improves with age i mean he still has a lot of athleticism we saw a couple of those leaping one head interceptions we saw yeah. another one in camp um but you know that is at this point kind of a tertiary part of his game his ability to go sideline to sideline fantastic it's still there it's a necessary part of football but his ability to anticipate where the ball is going to be you know that's always up there and that's going to keep him competitive so now moving on to the head coach if you're if you're kevin o'connell what, what is the biggest concern for this team going into monday night you know, the Eagles are are phenomenal up front on both sides of the ball. It's going to be an issue that they'll have next week against the last year, uh, last week's Eagles opponent, the Lions. But uh, I, I think the biggest issue uh, is going to be Jalen Hurts. I think it's, you know, the, Vi the way the Vikings have 
created these pass rush lanes, you know, for Aaron Rodgers, it was wide open stuff, right? It was like they, they created enormous running lanes. If Rodgers was the kind of quarterback at this point in his career to scramble. And he even said after the game that he should have taken some scramble opportunities and he didn't, that's not going to be something that the Vikings can get away with on a passing down on like third and 12. If they create a wide open rushing lane in order to generate, you know, additional pressure and create some one-on-ones, that's going to be convertible for Jalen Hurts to run on third and 12. Right. And so that's going to be a big problem. Like I obviously I have big concerns about the way, you know, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, all of those line up against that weak Vikings offensive interior line. But I mean, just preparing for a quarterback like that is just going to be, I, I don't want to be in that coach's room. That sounds like. Yeah. In, in your opinion, having seen this, the scheme now just for through one game and, and watching it throughout the course of the summer, do you feel like that that will kind of spook them out of doing more of the sim pressures? Or do you feel like those extra eyes on Jalen hurts might come um, from the, from the third level and you're bringing down Harrison Smith, uh, you know, or, uh, or Cam Bynum, or if Lewis seen is healthy, uh, being able to work those guys in from the third level to try and keep Jalen hurts contained. Yeah, I, I think actually you, you hit the nail on the head. I think we're probably going to see more three safe or any three safety looks because, like you said, Lewisine was not healthy last week, and 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 this week they anticipate that he will be. He had a knee reaggravation uh, for an injury that occurred a couple of weeks ago. It sounds like he'll be good to go. And if he is, they'll try to put three safeties on the field. And putting three safeties on the field gives them a little bit more speed. Uh, all of these safeties can really hit. They can hit hard. They bring a lot behind their tackles, and so you know, dealing with a bigger guy like Jalen Hurts, you know, running downhill, you know, that's, it's going to require somebody with instincts. It's going to require somebody with speed. It's going to require somebody with hit power. Those safeties are going to be able to do it. You know, Jordan Hicks is fantastic. His combine testing was out of this world. When he played for the Eagles, he was, he was phenomenal, but his sideline to sideline speed isn't really where it was. And so I, I wouldn't really be comfortable him being a spy in a penny situation where he's the lone linebacker or a dime situation where he's the lone linebacker. I think that, you know, a, a three safety look is probably the best way to account you know, for, for these multiple threats that it could, can occur late in the play. Love it. Well, that, that's something we'll definitely keep an eye out uh, for on Monday night. Last question for you, Arif. I really appreciate you joining us. Most pivotal matchup uh, in this game. If you look one-on-one, most pivotal matchup that you think uh, could ultimately decide the outcome of this game. Man, uh, it really depends on if Jordan Davis plays more snaps. You know, I, I know the the talk heading into the season was that he wasn't going to play a ton. Uh, and then we saw against the Lions, he didn't play a ton. But uh, the snaps that he'll have against Garrett Bradbury, I think, are going to help define some key moments in the game. Um, Bradbury is just not capable of taking on really high-level nose tackles. It turns out he's got three in a row to start the season. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and seeing that kind of interior pressure, the ability to squeeze those running lanes, that is going to really – you know, have the potential to crush the Vikings' hopes. Yeah, I, it was interesting. I was fascinated to see from a personnel standpoint what would what would they play? Would they were going to be heavy like eleven personnel with what they were with the Rams, or would it be more of where Kevin O'Connell came from with Kyle Shanahan, where you're seeing a little bit more base personnel? And we saw plenty of twenty-one, you know, a lot of two back uh, with uh, with CJ Ham in there, uh, plenty with the tight end. So um, we'll see if that then equates to the Eagles playing with more of those base personnel sets defensively with Jordan Davis out in the field and how that can impact uh, that matchup. That's that's a really really good point. That's something to be zeroed on here uh, in this game. Arif, thanks so much, man, once again, for joining us here in full focus on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. All right, so for our second edition of Faux Focus here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, joining me now, Sean Syed. You can follow him on Twitter, at Syed Schemes. Check out his work over at the Daily Norseman. Outstanding job breaking down this Vikings offense and defense, really uh, on both sides of the football. Uh, Sean, I guess really quickly at the top, 
it's got to be fun, you know, breaking down a, a new scheme. It's a, obviously it was a, a lot of the same over the last few years with with Mike Zimmer. Uh, obviously, there was a rotation of offensive coordinators, but a lot of the same principles you would talk about on a yearly basis. So it's got to be fresh and, and exciting uh, to break down some new kind of uh, X's and O's things on uh, on your content. Fran, absolutely. You know, thanks so much for having me on. I think that I lucked out with the Vikings this year, having a McVay-based offense and a Fangio-based defense. You know, those are the two <laughs> hot things in football, and yeah. sometimes they just fall right into your lap. So, yeah, it's definitely been fun, and it helps helps when you have performances like Sunday. Yeah, no question. So, uh, all right, let, let's dive into this matchup, man. And looking at um, this Vikings offense and the new look with, with Kevin O'Connell, Wes Phillips as the offensive coordinator, what do you feel like uh, was their biggest tactical advantage last week in that division win over the Green Bay Packers? You know, I, I really do think that the Vikings just have a cheat code in Justin Jefferson. He is, of course, a really unique player, but Kevin O'Connell is smart and understands how to take advantage of Jefferson's skill set. He was lined up in multiple places throughout the game. He was out wide. He was in the slot. He was in bunch, and he was even in the backfield on two plays. Yep. So I think the Vikings are going to continue to do that because it can give the offense matchup advantages, especially against teams that play too high coverages. They put an umbrella over the offense. Attacking the underneath defenders is where I think you can find space. And so there were plays in week one where Jefferson ended up on linebackers and coverage. And a lot of that is based on O'Connell understanding how to use purposeful motions and shifts to get Justin Jefferson into advantageous looks. And that's the thing is that, you know, we've said it on here on the show is that Justin Jefferson uh, is an outstanding like route runner and separator on his own. But when you add in uh, some of the gimmies and some of the layups and some of the favorable matchups that they're creating within the structure of that scheme, well, that's when you're really kind of cooking with gas from a production standpoint. Do you feel like that this is going to be their identity moving forward? Like Eagles fans can expect to see this on Monday night? You know, I, I think the Vikings sure hope so, right? You want to see Justin Jefferson gridding the end zone. Maybe you don't, but of course we do. And, you know, the Eagles play that too high shell defense kind of like the Packers do. And the goal of that is to stop deep passing, right? The defense wants to force the offense to dink and dunk and really be perfect rep after rep down the field on long sustained drives. And every coverage is going to have its weaker points. So as I said before, one of the better ways to attack too high shells is at the underneath level. So I'm definitely going to expect the Vikings to continue to have Justin Jefferson line up in multiple spots and run those interior choice routes to really test the Eagles defense in that way. So looking back at that game last week, what was it that Green Bay did? Because the Green Bay's got a pretty talented defense. What gave them the most trouble uh, in terms of uh, Green Bay's defense going up against Minnesota's offense? You know, the, the Vikings did have a pretty clean game offensively, but there were a few shot plays that were called where Kirk Cousins was sped up a little bit because of the pass rush. You know, of course, it, it's always tough going against Kenny Clark, who had multiple nice moves against the offensive line. But I do think that will also be something to watch on Monday. You know, if the Eagles can win early on up front on passing downs, really speed up Kirk's decision-making process and prevent those big plays, I do think that's something that the Eagles might be able to capitalize and win the game. Yeah, I think when you look at the, that matchup, it's funny. You know, we were talking about this with Greg uh, earlier this week. This Vikings offensive line, it used to be like, oh, that, that's the big weakness, that offensive line. They just, it's not, it's not as good. It feels like the, those guys are starting to settle in. And there's some young pieces that are still kind of proving themselves. You know, Dyershaw didn't play a full season a year ago, but uh, week one, a, a good start for him. Um, just overall thoughts on this offensive line as a whole? Yeah, I think it's definitely was encouraging watching that tape. You know, I personally see the offensive line. They're mauling people in the run game. Yeah. I think it's really, really fun to watch that kind of box view and see the tape. And they're settling in, I think, on the pass again. So I do think that there, there's a lot of optimism around the Vikings offensive line. All right, well, let's go over to the uh, the defensive side. When you look at uh, this Vikings defense, 
what was their biggest tactical advantage uh, going up against Aaron Rodgers and that, and that Packers offense uh, last week? Four sacks, one pick. Uh, what kind of gave them the edge? I think really two things working hand in hand for the Vikings defense. First, they were able to stay in that too high structure for pretty much the whole game because they were just eating double teams up on the line. Really, for the most part, linebackers were able to be kept clean because of the way that Dalvin Tomlinson was really playing up front. And look, if you can win up front, you can be more creative on the back end because you don't need to bring an extra body down to that. And the Vikings and these Fangio guys really love playing kind of half quarter quarter to three by one sets. You know, pull that backside safety over, relieve some stress off of your linebackers and get a numbers advantage on defense. You know, find your five on three on defense. But that really can only function if you can win on the backside one on one, really with a cornerback. And versus Green Bay, there were definitely chances for the Packers, but it ended up not being an issue. And so the Vikings were able to front flood the front side of pass concepts. And I'm, you know, I'm really curious to see if they'll be able to do that against the Eagles, knowing their offensive personnel. Yeah, I guess that's the, that was going to be my next question. Is like, do you feel like that's something that is easily uh, copied from what they did a week ago to to now? Obviously, it's a it's a different beast, right? In terms of going up against Green Bay uh, and what their personnel is compared to what the Eagles are going to present. Uh, what exactly do you think that it could change here on Monday night? Yeah, I think that you know Vikings fans are going to be stressed out seeing AJ Brown come on the field because when you're able to win the backside matchups one-on-one it just relieves so much stress everywhere else and then that combined with how Jalen Hurts is used in the run game and how the Eagles attack the flats it's really it's so unique in the way that they add gaps manipulate angles and just put you in a bind and test you how good you are with your technique so you know I think Vikings fans might hope that they can play the same sort of coverages against the Packers my anticipation is that they would have at least the same structures but the results may look a little different when you have A.J. Brown on the backside one-on-one Obviously, there were some issues uh, with Green Bay's offense this past week, right? I mean, uh, the offensive line injuries, uh, inconsistencies, uh, I think it's kind to say, at wide receiver. Um, but if there's anything that gave this Minnesota defense any trouble last week, uh, what would you say it was? You know, I do think that that the Vikings, they struggled a little bit with pin and pull, which as a concept, you know, the yep. Eagles do run it just very basically. Yep. You know, you got usually two tight ends. They're slamming down. You've got athletic offensive linemen that are getting bigger bodies onto smaller bodies in space. And look, the Packers ran it multiple times and they were able to capitalize on that and get more yardage. I'm curious if the Vikings either change up their front in that they have a 6-1 front or something that's a little heavier. But the Vikings also struggled a little bit with the Packers doing certain things to manipulate the flat. And I know that the Eagles are going to do that. So the run game and the flat kind of combined, it's going to be something that's interesting to track early in the game and really throughout because the Vikings did have a few maybe miscommunications on motions. And so they're going to hope to smooth that out this game for sure. Yeah, that was one thing. You know, I was glad that you brought that up with the pin pull schemes because uh, just kind of going through some of the numbers, uh, looking across the NFL, uh, the Vikings actually had the worst explosive run percentage against on defense uh, this past week. They gave up five uh, runs of 10 plus on just 18 carries from Green Bay. And so I went back. I'm like, all right, let's just look at those 10 runs. Oh, what are you or on those uh, those five runs and see exactly what happened? And a lot of it was those, those perimeter pin pulls, and you kind of got the uh, Aaron Jones and Dylan out in space uh, from that side. I, I wonder if that's something that the Eagles. We'll try and leverage uh, in this matchup. So I'm glad that you uh, kind of saw that the same way. Um, just last question for you. What, what is the deciding factor? What's the X factor in this game, either side of the football in your eyes? Well, I think for the Vikings on offense, I want to see if Kevin O'Connell can keep on scheming Justin Jefferson into advantageous sets. But you know, also, are the Vikings going to be able to find ways to get explosive gains 
in a game where the Eagles are happy to play the long game. You know, if the Eagles can force the Vikings to grind out drive after drive, I think that can be difficult for Minnesota. And really on the opposite end, you know, how do the edge rushers deal with Jalen Hurts, right? The Vikings have good edge rushers. And it's easy for us to say, let's not let Jalen Hurts Hurts beat us, but he's going to make plays, right? So I want to see the Vikings be able to get off the field on third down and either be disciplined in how they box Hurts or speed up his process in some way without letting him run for first downs. Yeah, I mean, to your point, you, you touched on it earlier, and I, I should have followed up on it, is uh, that that is the challenge of trying to defend this Eagles offense, right? Is that when you have uh, the plus one in the run game with Jalen Hurts as a, th- as a threat with his legs, well, that means that you can't necessarily give all the help that you want to an A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, uh, Dallas Goddard kind of trio, right? And so you, it, it ultimately then becomes a numbers game from that standpoint for, from a defense that is trying to win that numbers game, right, in terms of uh, being able to stop the pass more so than the run. Absolutely. I think it's such a pick your poison with the Eagles, right? How do you want to be beat? You know, there's no surprise that the Eagles scored a lot of points in their first game. They can do it on the ground. And if Hertz is clicking with Brown and Smith, it is going to be a long, long Monday for Vikings fans for sure. Well, outstanding analysis, uh, as expected here from Sean. Make sure you go follow Sean on Twitter at Syed Schemes. Check out his work over with the Daily Norseman. Sean, thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks, Fran. Appreciate it so much. All right, so great stuff there from both Arif Hassan and Sean Syed. Just outstanding analysis about this Vikings team. So hopefully now you've got a full grasp of what this uh, this Eagles team is going to see from Minnesota on Monday night. But I'm going to squeeze in just a touch more analysis because we've got some leftover clips here from John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell, all from Eagles game plan this week. Everything that was left on the cutting room floor just due to time constraints. Hey, it's a 30-minute show. I can't squeeze all of our analysis into that 30 minutes. So... I left it here for you, just for you, uh, here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Here is uh, some great analysis from the Eagles game plan crew. And I think you got a pretty good idea from Ed Donatel, the Minnesota Vikings defensive coordinator. Now, Donatel comes from the Vic Fangio school a little bit. So what you tend to see, and you saw it week one against the Packers, was you saw multiple fronts, a lot of different front looks, and a lot of different pressure schemes from those looks. But in the back end, you saw what we call coverage consistency. They lined up on almost every snap in a two-shell look. Now, it didn't always stay exactly that way, but that was the starting point, and that's the way they kind of played throughout the whole game. Yeah, and if you think about this matchup coming up against the Vikings, there's going to be some opportunities for these Eagles wide receivers to make plays down the field. They don't do a lot of press coverage. First play of the game last week, Green Bay had an opportunity with the rookie wide receiver Christian Watson down the field. Great ball placement from Aaron Rodgers. He just drops it there. My point is, is that don't be fooled by the final score of that game last week. Green Bay had some opportunities to make some plays in the passing game down the field. They just didn't take advantage of it. I like our receivers going up against this Vikings secondary. Detroit Lions, they play a lot of man coverage. They like to come after you. They like to get after, get tight on the wide receivers. And it lends itself to Jalen running. You don't want to see him run the ball 17 times. But in a game like this, if they're able to break down the protections, you feel fortunate that you have a guy like Jalen Hurts because he gets you out of a lot of bad situations. It's not going to be the same. They're going to see a lot of zone coverage, but the X factor certainly is having Jalen Hurts, a guy who, when it breaks down, he can get you out of those situations. So a couple points to follow up with our cue there. Uh, I do believe 
you know, the Vikings may play a little bit more zone when they get in these situations just to keep more sets of eyes on Jalen Hurts and not giving that free room to roam. But if you're the Eagles, you have to stay out of some of these third and long situations. I know they were able to get by last week. Jalen was able to save or extend some drives uh, with his legs. But you got to win on first and second down. And that's by either running the ball effectively early, completing passes when the opportunities are there. But more importantly, stay out of those self-inflicting situations where there's pre-snap penalties, there's holding penalties that puts you behind schedule and forces Jalen to play that type of ball when you're on third and long situations. Nobody wants to be in third and long, but it's good to have a quarterback that has the ability to pick up first downs with his legs and his arm. And speaking of running the ball, the Vikings gave up a lot of big plays to the outside. Can they get Miles Sanders and the Eagles running game going to the perimeter? I think it would be beneficial for him. I think Miles is our best outside runner. He certainly has that breakaway game speed. And I thought our tight ends, uh, obviously along with our tackles, but I thought our tight ends did a great job of setting that edge uh, last week when we had opportunities to run outside. I think this is a defense that fits running the football on the perimeter much better than last week's defense. These guys, the offensive linemen, they're so athletic. They're so good in space. I think it's just the perfect fit for Miles Sanders to have a big day. And I'll tell you what, that Detroit defense, you've got some really young players on that defense. You're going to be facing a veteran Vikings defense. You've even got some guys who are here in Philly for the NFC title loss, Kendricks and Harrison Smith. How much different will it be? Well, I think it would be very different. When you're talking about young players that they faced last week versus Detroit, they just didn't have the experience to understand pre-snap adjustments and things of that nature. When you look at this Vikings defense, there's some veterans over there. Patrick Peterson, you mentioned Eric Kendricks, old friend of ours, Jordan Hicks over there playing, all-pro safety and Harrison Smith back there. So we're going to have to be a little more disciplined. And even when things aren't going well early, we have to be able to stick with those things because I think we'll get opportunities late in the game to take advantage of those older guys. You saw some young guys out of position in that game against Detroit. I don't think you're going to see the same. To Ike's point, it's a veteran group. They're not going to make a lot of mistakes back there. So you're going to have to win those matchups when you have opportunities to win. Kaiser White, man, I don't know if you're going to have a better debut for a linebacker than Kaiser had. Man, 43 all over the field. Can you hear the excitement in my voice? Mike is shaking the table, Mike Quick. (laughs) Love it, man. Woo! You have to be able to appreciate the way the guy plays the game. That first play that you talked about, when he saw the play going out to the flat, he triggered so quickly. No false steps. He just runs, makes a beeline to the ball. He makes a play. He did the same thing during the preseason. We've watched him make play after play after play a great addition to this defense. Amazing. The Eagles got him on a one-year deal. Leading tackler for the Chargers. That was a steal. All right. Now, one guy you're going to have to watch out for with the Vikings. You know who he is. He had a Vikings record 158 yards in the first half against the Packers. A career-high 184 yards. I don't even need to say Justin Jefferson's name. Now, Jefferson has a unique ability with his size and his stride length to cut without having to slow down. So he is a real burden for corners, even when they're in off coverage, because he does not have to throttle down to break. So keep in mind, yes, Jefferson will be the absolute priority for the Eagles defense and Jonathan Gannon. No question about it. But we certainly don't want a situation where at the end of the day, we see Jefferson maybe 5 for 72 and Thielen 9 for 140, which he's certainly capable of. So this offense, which is very good, has a lot of really good skill position players. This is a challenge for the Eagles defense.
All right, so that's the Vikings passing offense. But my goodness, you can't forget about Dalvin Cook, one of the best running backs in football. Yeah, I mean, listen, Dalvin Cook is excellent back coming out of Florida State, has proven that at this level. And you notice last week they're running a little bit different run scheme with Dalvin in this offense this year. You know, they're used to doing a lot more zone runs where you get him on the outside, want to use his speed. Man, they're doing a lot more where you pull the guards and the tackles, isos with fullbacks. They do still have fullbacks in the NFL. So the difference is <laughs> our linebackers this week, when we talk about gap runs, you got a, a gap that you're responsible for. When a guard or tackle pulls or they're running a counter tray, your gap will move based on where that fullback is at. So we're going to have to be disciplined this week in our gap controls and our linebackers are going to have to be able to get downhill and shed blocks this week. You're going to have to either take on a fullback or a lineman, get off the block and make a tackle. This is big boy football, the type of running game that the Vikings are trying to instill. So that our linebackers have to be ready to go. Well, just like last week, this is a dynamic running back. When you, he gets in space, you got a problem. They have to do a much better job this week of tackling. You're right, fitting those gaps, getting into those gaps, but wrapping people up, getting your arms around them, getting your shoulder pads on them, and getting them on the ground. This is another team that can really run the football, and if you don't tackle well, if you don't have those gap fits, you're going to have problems in the run game against this offense. Hopefully that's a week one extension of preseason thing. But how about the Vikings using a lot of empty sets? What does that say for Marcus Epps, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, and their role when they spread you out? Well, I mean, well, listen, when you get into an empty set, based on the defense that you're playing, you're going to be in man coverage a lot of times. Yeah. But even when it's zone coverage, it's about knowing where the personnel is lined up at and knowing where Minnesota wants to go with the football. They have multiple weapons there, so we have to be detailed in our assignments and play good assignment football. And these are things that offenses will do, Mike, and you can speak to this. They do that to try to confuse you and, and get you to make a mistake somewhere. They want, that's exactly what they want. They want to get you out of position somewhere so that they can gash you. I like the way that Epps is playing. Epps at that safety position, led the team in tackles last week. You talked about Kazira White earlier. I'm starting to see this thing really come together. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, he played outstanding. For a guy who had only been on the roster for 10 days, really gotten to the system and what they wanted him to do in this system, this, get, this defense is coming around. How do you replace a Derek Barnett when you have the rotation? Now, obviously, they picked up a player from the Vikings practice squad, maybe getting a little intel. But how do you replace a key guy in the rotation? Well, you do it collectively. I mean, and, and that's that's the great thing about the sport of football. It is truly a team sport. And when one man goes down, that group collectively has to pick up their level of play. Uh, you know, Jonathan Gannon to do what he's supposed to do as far as putting guys in position to make plays. But no one needs to feel the need to have an out-of-body experience and go do things that they aren't accustomed to doing. You know, I think there's enough depth there. Josh Sweat will be able to yeah. step up. BG uh, planning more of a – he'll probably have more snaps for Brandon Graham. That's always a good thing. Uh, I, I like where we are. Some young guys are going to get some opportunities, but it's not just going to be one guy. It's going to be done by the collective. Patrick Johnson. Patrick Johnson, yeah. throw him in there as well. Yes, sir. 
And again, be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally on Friday across all Eagles channels. Or if you live in the Philadelphia area, make sure you watch it. Sunday morning, 10 a.m. on NBC10. Great stuff from all of our guests today. Just a loaded show getting you ready for week two. Prime time under the lights at Lincoln Financial Field. Thanks to everybody out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week. 